Our first scripture reading is found in the book of Psalms. It is Psalm 4. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Our second scripture reading today is from the first letter of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will not be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Amen. So yesterday, Alicia and I took the girls to Potbelly's for lunch. Has anybody, who's been to Potbelly's yet? That new sandwich shop over there by Target. We had to go to Target, and I've been really wanting to try it because I have this like magnetic attraction to a new sandwich shop because I have to know. Um, Because the more sandwiches I can try, the better person I am. I honestly believe that. Well, the jury is in. The sandwiches are really good, especially if you get the extra meat. Uh, that's uh, Go ahead and get the extra meat. It'll be worth it. Okay, so we show up, and it's almost noon. It's maybe 10 minutes to noon, and we walk in. And we're, the place is basically empty, except for one guy sitting on a table eating a sandwich. And so I'm like, all right, that's, you know, the, the lunch rush hasn't happened yet, I guess. Uh, so that's fine. So we order. We sit down with our food. And right about the time we sit down with our food, the guy that was sitting there by himself finished eating and then threw his stuff away and walked over and picked up a guitar and plugged it into an amplifier that I hadn't noticed in the corner and then just started playing music. And we're the only people in the restaurant. So it's kind of like like that Italian restaurant, like a Lady in the Tramp situation. He's not standing at our table. If he was, I would have immediately left. Um, but it was kind of that because we're the only people in there and 
when this is just a family with small children as your only audience, you probably shouldn't lead with a song about being on the beach and realizing you don't love your wife anymore. That was an odd musical choice to the point where halfway through the song, I almost wanted to get up and, and walk over and be like, you got anything from the Jungle Book? Maybe. Um, anything from Frozen? That might go. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's, you'd think that would, that would go over pretty well. But luckily, I didn't have to make that call because right about the time the song was ending, a, a bunch more people walked in to get sandwiches. And he uh, went to covers. And uh, he played an eclectic mix of things from some old country to some Marshall Tucker band. Not the one about getting on a train and leaving somebody to go along with her. But um, and then he's played probably one of the most overplayed songs from 2008. It's by a guy named Jason Mraz called I'm Yours. Rachel's laughing because she knows where I'm going. It's literally, this song sold more ukuleles in 2008 than... Uh, that the guy playing over the rainbow on the ukulele about 10 years before. So it's probably one of the, if you don't remember it, it goes, uh, it talks about staring in the mirror and trying to look at your tongue in the mirror. It's this whole, and there's a lot of doo-wop in it. It's a lot of just, it's a good song, but I got so tired of it because of how often it was on the radio. Uh, I think to this day, if you turn on 99.7, it's going to be on the radio at least once an hour. Um, but see, Jason Mraz is somebody I used to be a big fan of, kind of before this song became popular. I don't want to be one of those people. I know that's, Kenneth is just getting ammunition to the Corey's a snob conversation. Uh, but I used to be the biggest Jason Mraz fan. Uh, his album before that song came out was called Mr. A to Z, which is funny because his last name is M-R-A-Z. So that's, he just put some punctuation in his name and got an album name. Um, but it was a really good album. Uh, and this album that uh, I'm Yours is on is called We Sing, We Dance, We Steal Things, which is a good name for an album. Even better, even made better by the fact that before this album came out, he released three EPs, one called We Sing, one called We Dance, and one called We Steal Things, because if he's, he's nothing if not consistent. Um, but basically, it just had like live versions, like live raw versions of the songs that's on the album. And the version of I'm Yours, so I, I listened to him a lot. I was at Mississippi State at the time, so I was walking to campus with an iPod because that's what time it was. Um, and I had him on my walking playlist all the time because he had this kind of coffee shop sound that was good to walk around to. Um, and when that first EP came out, it had this I'm Yours song on it. I'm not going to be one of those I listened to it before everybody else. But I say that to say this. So... The song that is so popular, the, the version that was on the record that's so popular now, it says this in the second verse. Look into your heart and you'll find love, 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 love. Listen to the music of the moment. People dance and sing. We're just one big family. And it's our God-forsaken right to be loved, 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 loved. There's a lot of repetition in this song. <laughs> but if you notice right there that last line, it's our God-forsaken right to be loved. In the EP version, Jason Mraz says, it's our God-intended right to be loved. And I have no idea for the life of me why he made this change, why I thought that this one word, it's the only difference, really, except for the fact that he's playing at like a bar or something in the, or the EP recording. It's the only difference between 
what's on the EP and what's on the record. And I have no idea for the life of me why he decided to make that choice. Because I was thinking about that in regards to the reading from 1 John today. We're just one big family, and it's our God-intended right to be loved. This is what the writer of 1 John had intended for the joining community, and for us to an extent. See what the love of the the love the see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The writer is writing to them, reminding them that they're God's children, that they're a part of God's family, and it's God's love that invites us into this family. The way the writer talks about being a children of God, he talks a lot of the way the kingdom of God is talked about in other parts of scripture. One of the defining aspects of the kingdom of God in theological talk is this phrase, now but not yet. It's basically it's saying that the kingdom of God is both something as believers that we experience and live in now, but what we experience and live in now is not all of it. There is also a portion of it that is in the not yet, that is in the, the future, that is in the after Jesus returns to us. And that's what he's saying here. In fact, I love the honesty. He literally says, look, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think, one, if you have a pastor that has the, the, the unction to tell you that he doesn't know what's going to happen, he or she doesn't know what's going to happen, that's a good pastor. You should stick with him. Um, I say that hoping that we've said that at some point. Have we said that at some point? Um, <laughs> um but uh, he's talking about the fact that we should live as God's children now. But whatever that's going to be in the future, we don't know. That's going to mean something deeper in the future. But right now, it means that we're supposed to live as brothers and sisters now as children of God. And what he's saying is in order to do that as best as we can, we should purify ourselves just as Christ is pure. So what do we mean by purity? So... Uh, anybody that's been in the church for more than uh, 15 minutes knows that purity is one of those loaded words we normally use, especially with kids, to, to talk about the absence and abstinence of individual visible sins, um, especially in regards to you know some of the stuff that would be a little bit more taboo in the culture. Abstaining from sin is definitely a part of what John is talking about, uh, but one of the things that the thing that sticks out the most to me is that last verse where he says that it also means doing what is righteous. So it's not just not doing something. It's also doing something. Purity is not just selective inaction. It's also deliberate action. So what does it mean in this context? What does it mean in the family of God? To be pure like Christ is pure. One of my favorite things about families, and this is basically every time you sit down with a family, is that you can't sit with a family for too long, especially if they're comfortable with where they are. They're going to start telling stories to themselves and to you if you're not a part of the family of aunts, uncles, cousins doing crazy things. And normally, especially if it's a good one that's going to, you know, get you rolling around on the floor. I got to spend some time with the Mealers the other night, and they had some very, very funny stories. Um, 
Uh, and But this isn't just a Southern thing. This isn't just an American thing. This isn't even just a thing of this time. This is something that humanity has done for centuries, for almost as long as humans have been humans. Because our families and the way we talk about our families are, is a way that we orient our lives. They're, these stories don't just set up a common language of the family. They also set up the common values of a family. Through the sharing of these stories, a family or a people group defines and reinforces both who they are and who they want to be. They define how much they would prefer each other to act and how they'd prefer each other not to act. In a world that focuses on us maintaining a list of correct actions, this way of looking at it isn't necessarily us trying to be do the right thing every time, but rather work towards being the people we want to be. And so these stories give us the examples of how a good person acts. These are the qualities, the habits, and the virtues that we as a family hold up as our principles. And these are what we desire to be known for as both individuals and as a collective group. I notice this the most when I'm with Alicia's family. I don't know if you all have noticed from the couple of times that she's been up here in this pulpit, but they've got some stories. Especially with uh, the, her losing her father last year, a lot of the stories have been around him here lately. And those stories share this, uh, a life that is full of generosity, which when Alicia talks about it, most of the time she's like, I remember as a kid hating his generosity because he would pick up homeless people off the side of the road and take them somewhere, even if the whole family's in the car. And as, as she said a minute ago, that's a big family to fit a homeless person right in the middle of. Um, he would bring guys home from a halfway house to have dinner. Uh, and the important part of that story is it was normally Christmas dinner. Um, and so she has these memories that she loves now, but she remembers as a kid, why is that dude here? We just got presents, and now we've got to be on, you know? And so, but she, they share that now, talking about the generosity of Eddie, specifically because that is something that all six of them want to replicate in their own lives in some way. They tell these stories, lifting up her father in as a virtue of generosity. It is an example that is set before them. So what John is saying is God loves us so much that he sent himself, the example of God's self through Jesus, to be the ultimate moral exemplar for us, to be the ultimate example of what virtues of all shapes look like. So we have Jesus, and at this time after Easter, it is important to think about not just the death and resurrection, but also the life as a part of that, because we talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All three of these things show us examples of how to live and how to be and how to interact with each other. So be pure just as Christ is pure is not saying, you best get right, but best saying, look at this example. This is an example that you can set your life after. And maybe, 
if you set your life after that. Your family, not just your, your flesh and blood family, but your family of believers around you will be able to set you as an example as well. So live as an example today in this Easter season when we, like disciples way back then, are trying to figure out what the next step is. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Because they'll always lead us toward God and where God wants us to be. Let's pray.